Hi there, Dane here, Chief Medical Advisor at Active IQ. So welcome to this Active IQ podcast on GDPR. So we received a range of emails um, from various organisations and companies asking us to opt in and opt out. We've received privacy policies and we received emails probably from people we never knew we were signed into in the first place. So I think in some ways GDPR is a good thing. It's definitely helped to clear up some of my email inbox of spam. Um, and obviously with the 25th of this month, GDPR is now here. So the focus of this session really is to discuss what it means to training providers, but also to personal trainers and other fitness professionals and what we need to do to be compliant. And really this is one of the many Active IQ resources to try and support our sector. So before we start, I think it's probably just to say this is a, an obviously fairly new and complex area. Um, and therefore it's quite hard to give specific advice because we all collect very different information. But what I've tried to do is focus it more around uh, discussions around the fitness industry and around training providers. Um, but ultimately this is to give you the broad themes um, and some advice that you can take on board um, after you finish listening to this podcast. So this podcast is purely uh, our interpretation of the advice and guidance uh, and ultimately, that's all it is. Um, this is not the official guidance. And ultimately, we we recommend that post this podcast, you go away and read some of the ICO guidance and some of the original GDPR if you want to. Um, and also get further expert advice on your own business and the actual content um, that you collect and the data that you collect. Okay, so let's get started. So with this podcast, what am I going to cover? So we're going to have a look at um, what GDPR is. We'll define a few key terms because I think there's lots of terms always banded about and sometimes just not even sure what they mean. Then we'll have a look at a few areas um, where you need to comply uh, and what those key principles might look like. And then really I want to try and tie everything in together to, you know, examples from our fitness industry. But ultimately, as I go through, there's potentially some things that while writing this podcast have helped me to find out, which is there are lots of holes. There are lots of people giving different opinions on what you should and shouldn't do to be compliant. And hopefully I'll try and get across some of those grey areas as well. Okay, so what's GDPR? Um, So let's start with the basics. Well, it stands for General Data Protection Regulation. Okay, and well, GDPR is an EU-based framework for for data protection laws and it replaces a 1995 data protection directive on which our current laws are based. So GDPR really changes how personal data can be used. Um, There's also now a new Data Protection Act 2018 um, updated alongside this to reflect that. So personally the first thing to say is that the majority of changes are not as big as it's probably made out to be and actually many of these things have been in place for a long time and has been seen as good practice. But ultimately, they've never really been enforced to the way that they're potentially going to be enforced with these these new laws coming into place. So the new Data Protection Act, in case you weren't also aware that that came out, now replaces the previous 1998 version. Okay, so GDPR itself. So it's a European or Europe-wide piece of legislation. And in the UK, um, it's our Department of Culture, Media and Sport. There's the kind of the government arm that's responsible for ensuring um, that our UK laws comply with GDPR requirements. 
so in the UK, um, they'll be looking after does the law kind of comply to that? But then in terms of enforcement, um, the regulator, as it were, is going to be ICO. So that's the Information uh, Commissioner's Office. So ICO is seen as the regulator. Uh, and ICO has some really fantastic guidance um, around GDPR. And so I'll signpost you to that as well. And obviously in our normal hubs area, you'll be able to see the links to that. And there are many experts um, from the ICO uh, organization that have written a range of articles and blogs that will help to support you. So if you do have any specific questions, I really do recommend you contact ICO. So if you go on their website, um, they've got a helpline as well and an email. Um, but as you can imagine, they're busy. Um, and at the moment, it's a bit like calling the tax office. You, you're waiting hours, but you will get a response. So it's probably worth doing. So let's face it, one of the biggest reasons why people are taking um, a lot of notices is ultimately there are clear fines uh, put out here. So uh, GDPR has very clear fines. It's enforced by ICO, who, is, who are almost the policers of it. Um, and, you know, if you look at the current uh, kind of documentation around it, it's kind of stating that there might be up to a 10 million euro uh, fine or a 2% global turnover charge. So it's hard to know exactly what that fine is going to be. And I'm sure there's many things taken into account from the size of the business uh, to the actual nature um, of the issue. Um, however, obviously, to many businesses, that is completely worrying. Um so again, this is why we're take, giving it the importance it probably deserves. While data protection is clearly important, this obviously adds an extra element around why we should be doing this. Um, but having read a lot of the ICO uh, kind of uh, feedback, uh, blogs and other articles they put through, it's been made clear really in various communication that they're aware that GDPR is going to be a little bit of a challenge and they're they're aware that actually it's going to take some time, but as long as people are trying to implement it and doing the right things, um, then they're open to treating people fairly, which I think is is hopefully a nice way to be, and hopefully they'll do as they say. Um, but ultimately, in my opinion, you know, if you really look at GDPR, it's for the big businesses, it's for the guys that take our data and do all sorts with it, pass it on to all sorts of people, um, and we re- never really know what's going on. And we also can't just easily get that data back. But actually, I think if you look at most things, big businesses can afford to get someone in to just do this for them. And it's definitely the little guys who are definitely going to have to try and learn this for themselves. And if you, you know, most training providers, most personal trainers are much smaller businesses. And therefore, um, we still need to be compliant. Uh, and we've kind of got to now take on this new mantle as well. So we'll talk you through where I think we need to be. So from there on out, let's have a look a little bit further. So first of all, I wanted to define two key points. So with these key points, uh, the first thing I wanted to look at was what does personal data mean and what, what is sensitive data? So if you if you compare one to the other, well, personal data is anything that allows a living person to be directly or indirectly identified. So this could be a name, this could be an address. It could actually be an IP address. So that's worth bearing in mind. Sensitive personal data uh, can be split into special categories, um, and this can be anything really. So it's not an exhaustive list, but it can be anything from what's your ethnicity uh, to what's your political opinion to what's your sexual orientation. It could be your religious belief. 
but it's, it's more sensitive personal information. So there is a difference between personal data versus sensitive data. So personal data being more things that identify you, so name, address, IP address. Sensitive data being things that could be quite wide-ranging instead. Now, the next thing that you see when you start to read these documents is the controller versus processor definition. So, um, not everyone's handling data in the same way. So, a controller is someone that decides how data is used, while a processor is someone that generally processes data on behalf of a controller. So, different levels of potential responsibility. Um, but again, both have to be compliant. Um, it's good to be clear about that distinction. So ICO talks about these kind of 12 steps to compliance. They've got a fantastic uh, infographic, which we'll again share with you. Um, so you'll be able to see it in the resources section. So what I'd really like to do is talk about each of them in turn, but hopefully give you some examples from our industry. So I think the, the first, uh, the key kind of thing they've got across in terms of their steps is step one is awareness. And I think this is critical. You know, everyone in your organization or business needs to be aware. Um, but, you know, even if you're a sole trader, are you truly on your own? And you really need to consider, um, you know, who else you use. This might be someone used for administration or someone that helps your website or social media. They've still potentially got access to data that you've collected and therefore are still responsible. And you're potentially responsible given that you're giving them that information. So there's definitely a responsibility for you to ensure that every member of your team, however they work with you, are aware and are going to be compliant. For a training provider, well, it really depends on your size, but there are a number of people generally involved in a training provider. It's never just one person. So providing and documenting training, uh, I think, is really key, and not just around GDPR, but also general data protection. And I think this is important. Um, so, for example, your assessors, your tutors, they should all be trained up to be clear about, you know, how they use that information and how you guys as an organization use that information. And I think being generally compliant is important and also shows that you've taken the steps to ensure your organization is compliant. So think of every single person who might be involved in personal data so um, thinking about providers I worked for before, well, you know, that's everything from your web developer, potentially. Um, that's everything to your social media person. That might be your cheaters, might be your assessors, might be someone else who's managing a training provider for you. Uh, could be a range of other roles. So do make sure everyone is trained up and is aware. Now, I think the first thing people think when they think training is training is expensive. But actually, I think, you know, this doesn't need to be in quotations official training. This could be delivered in-house, potentially by someone with the appropriate means to understand what data protection and GDPR really is and get across, I think, not just what the new laws are, but also what the policies and procedures of the organisation are. But I think, as with all good training, make sure it's applied, make sure it's appropriate, and make sure that when they leave... This means that they will be compliant. So it's not about having an awareness or knowing the laws. It's about can they apply that information to your organization? And personally, I think going forwards, if we're looking at design of education, well, should every induction process for any member of staff include a little bit about data protection and GDPR? 
Now, many large organisations do this anyway. So really, in the grand scheme of things, nothing has really changed. But definitely the smaller businesses, I would argue, and hopefully many of you would agree, it's not something we necessarily do. And the repercussions have always been a bit more lax, potentially, that this hasn't been done. So I'd, I'd really get you to have a little look at what you do at the moment and what can you change. So training staff, making sure they're all aware is important. It also means you're less likely to have any breaches. So that's number one. So number two in your steps is um, accountability. So what information do you hold? So whether you're a PT, whether you're a fitness professional of another um, kind of discipline, or whether you're a training provider, I guess ultimately consider and assess what information you actually hold. And I think initially just start by documenting what you currently do. So, for example, what information do you hold? Do you just hold name? Do you hold date of birth? Do you hold health information? You know, what what do you hold? And um, who has access to that data? And I think on what modality is that data stored on? So, is this paper? Is this um, on a hard drive? Is this on a computer? Is this in the cloud? Is this using a third-party application? Maybe it's a Google Docs. Maybe it's something else. You know, where are you holding this information? And ultimately, who has access to it? So can this information be uh, easily found as well? So is it just a hidden link, but actually potentially could be found by anyone? Or actually, do you need to log in to access this information or is it locked? That level of access is important. Um, And then where does this data go? So, for example, uh, for a personal trainer, it might just stay on your laptop. But maybe if it's a training provider, this data might go back to an awarding organization such as ActiveIQ. Uh, it might be held on servers in the cloud held by a third party organization. You may send information to the printers to print off names and manuals and addresses and certificates. It could be a range of people you talk to and give this data to that actually you, we've got to ask the question, does a student know that this data is being shared elsewhere and so I think this is all part of it you know what's the big web where does this data actually go also to remember that you know this is every single person you work with from your staff to all the third party people so furthermore I think the next question really is why do you hold this information and I think that's a a critical kind of point to make so why do you hold it Do you actually need the information you're asking for in storing? And when do you no longer need it, more importantly? So, because I guess if you're holding on to information longer than required, then, you know, ultimately, you know, the data is probably inaccurate. It might be old, but also you leave yourself open to more issues. If you don't need the data anymore, why be liable for it? Why not get rid of it? But again, I guess it's also when the time comes to get rid of it, it needs to be disposed of securely. So again, these all need to be considered in a, in a policy or a process um, written up for, for your organisation. So number three, communicating privacy information. So if you don't have a privacy notice, you definitely need one now. So this notice really should contain who you are. So that's your name, where you're registered, your company name, you know, so you can be identified. What are you actually collecting information-wise and how do you intend to use it? And I think it's really important. And that gives someone the confidence and when they give you their information, they know how and why it's being used. I think by doing the mapping exercise before, 
that we've just talked about. So where is your information being stored? Who do you give that information to? What information do you collect? This will help you to then write a privacy policy because you'll be clear about what you do with your information. And ultimately, by doing so, the person can then really consent and be clear about what you're doing. And I think consent is one of the key words that will keep coming back in GDPR. It's all about that person having consent. In order to really have consent, they need to understand what's happening to their data. So under GDPR, you need to explain the lawful reasons for processing that data. So how long are you going to hold on to it? You also actually need to show a complaints procedure, which includes how they can contact ICO um, if they feel that you're handling their data poorly. So again, that all needs to be there. You'll see a lot of privacy policies uh, banded around and you've probably seen a lot of them in emails so far with every organization wanting to tell you that they're compliant now. Um, and I think it's good to have a look at a few and see what their wordings are. The big organizations will have spent a lot of money and time getting this written up. So it definitely gives us little guys, you know, the, uh, the kind of wording and the structure that could be potentially helpful. You can see Active IQs at the bottom of the Active IQ website. Uh, which has been recently updated as well. And hopefully all of those will give you an idea uh, of how information could be and maybe should be used by different organisations and hopefully lead you to writing your own. So have a look at a few different policies and see what you think about content and style. And, and again, look to seek advice if you're still not sure. And I think there are lo loads of companies that will sell you templates as well. But I guess you could argue that you can find templates too. But ultimately, it's about is that template appropriate to you? And I think people like I can be contacted to give you that advice. And my understanding is that advice is free. So four. So step four is what are the individual rights? So as part of uh, GDPR, you need to ensure that you meet the rights of the individuals or the people. And these are the rights that now come to the forefront. So you need to consider how you will delete personal data potentially because people have a right for erasure if they want to. So what I'm going to do is read you out the eight basic rights and kind of talk through some of them. So the right to be informed is one of the rights. So that's you telling a person, look, I'm taking this information from you, but you only give it to me if you want to. This is how I'm going to use your information. This is where it's going and this is how we're looking after it. And then it's up to the person to decide. The right to access information is the second right. The right to access would be, for example, if I said, well, you know what, I want my information back. I want to be able to see it. I want to be able to know what you're doing. The ability to access that information. Various companies are doing that different ways. Some people, you just request it and they'll then give you the information in a period of time. Uh, others have created online portals where they can log in and see their own data and and do various things around controlling access for it. The right to rectification, so that's uh, the ability to change data. So I don't know if your address changes, your name changes, the ability to actually make sure it's correct information. The right to erasure. So there are certain things that legally you can't be erased from. However, the majority of what we're talking about, particularly training provider, personal trainer type stuff, um, you know, the person does potentially have the right to have their records erased entirely. So again, how are you going to manage that if someone requests that? Um, when will they not be able to request that? So for example, a student that asks for erasure while they're still on a course with you, 
is is quite a challenge and it would have to be explained why you need that data and really then can they continue with the course if they're asking for it to be taken away but i think you know the average person here with a bit of common sense and being reasonable hopefully most of these things are not unreasonable people aren't just going to be hammering you the requests i think the right to restrict processing is interesting so how that data is processed and used the right to data portability so the ability to request your data but actually be given to you in a format that you can actually use and take with you elsewhere so if someone asks you for data you know it can't just be exported in code you've probably got to give it in a readily available format so probably word pdf something to that description um, so have a look at you know what how can people access that information physically read it for themselves and take it with them the ability to object so the right to object is a right so again you know what's your procedures in place if someone feels you're not handling their data how will you do that process so what's your organization's policy here so there's lots of different basic rights so moving on the fifth kind of step was around access requesting which we've talked about because that's a right the right to access your data so gdpr gives the individual the ability to access their own data easily so before GDPR, some of you may remember there was a subject access request, so called SAR, which a lot of businesses and public bodies used to charge £10 to be given info that was they held um, to their client or person. But with GDPR, this is now being scrapped, so requests are now free of charge. By new rules, the information should be provided within 30 days. So again, uh, policies may need to be amended to account for that. And again, ultimately asking yourself that question, can you supply the data within 30 days and if you can are you actually clear about the identity of the person that's requesting the information because if you potentially hand over that information to the wrong person then there's a data breach in itself because maybe you handed it to someone who isn't that person so how are you going to check identity is a is an interesting one if you feel this is something that in your area of work, your organization, you're going to be asked a lot, maybe it's something you might not be able to manage in that timescale easily. Maybe you need to find an online IT or automated solution. So a way of clients or people being able to log in and see their data being displayed, maybe giving them options where they can export it off their login, maybe an option to request erasure off their login. There's lots of different ways of doing this, but ultimately you've got to decide what manpower you have you're able to achieve yourself and what what maybe it in 2018 can help you automate so sixth step is the lawful basis for processing data so i guess when we're talking about this we're talking about we need to document reasons and a basis for why we're processing the data and ultimately why you need it i think for the majority of what we're doing uh, we're talking more about documenting consent as well so someone's typing or literally giving us their data but we need to make sure they're very clear about how it's being used. But what you have to remember is just because someone consents now doesn't mean they can't retract it later. So remember that any data give you can be removed. And I think the best way to frame GDPR really is that this is someone else's data. You're merely looking after it and they always have a right to take it back at any point. And I think if you kind of keep those kind of principles in mind, you probably won't go too wrong. Seven, so here consent is one of the key steps here. So how do you currently get consent, record it and manage it is probably a key question to ask. 
Many people have got this kind of pre-filled consent tick box. And I guess make sure that your consent is clear and unambiguous. It needs to be written in clear English so that the average person can understand it. And consent is about someone really having all the information and being able to then weigh up that information to decide, well, actually, do I want to proceed? And then they should be able to tick a box themselves to confirm that. A pre-ticked tick box is no longer relevant. So they must actively, positively make that option. So we call it a positive opt-in. The other key uh, kind of tip to get across is that we need to separate the consent tip box from the other terms, conditions tip box and make sure they're separate. If you've already done this, that's great. But if you haven't, just make sure they're separated. And make sure that there isn't just a tick box for consent, but a clear link to the consent policy. My advice with you would be when you click on that policy, it doesn't take you to another page. It'd be better if it's a modal that pops up and that way people aren't taken away from what they're trying to do with you. So have a little think about your design and you may need to tweak your website to suit. Okay, so once you've done that, uh, then that's fine. And if you've already doing that, then that's great. But if you're not compliant at the moment with consent, so either they're not ticking a box themselves, it's not a positive opt-in, you haven't given them all that information and you're updating it now, then I think you should probably consider seeking a fresh new uh, GDPR compliant consent. And ultimately, that's what most of these organizations are doing. You're getting sent a lot of emails saying, are you happy to kind of carry on with us? Here's our policies. So, you know, nothing to stop you guys doing the same. And ultimately, after that, if you don't get a response, if people don't want to be contacted, then that's the end of it. Really, we shouldn't be trying to contact them after that. So moving on, it also needs to be easy to remove consent. And I think this is key. So I don't know about you guys, but there's lots of email um, kind of people I'm signed up to where actually it's really hard to stop and get off their mailing list. So this should be easy. It should either be a link at the in the bottom of your email that's very easy to click out of and simple to use. Larger organizations have given client logins where they can choose and make changes easily. So you'll see things like Facebook and a few of the others. Google particularly has uh, has kind of a very clear way that you can manage your privacy settings. So again, it depends on how large your organization is and how how automated you want to make this process. So step number eight. So this is all around children um, and compliance. Obviously, most of us in the training provider sector and even the PT sector are working with adults. So we're not going to talk too much about this. But I would say that if your work is around children, you need to consider how you verify ages if you're doing things and how you gain parent or guardian consent for any data processing. You may already be doing this on paper format with signatures for a guardian signature. That's great. Just consider how you store it, how you update that consent and whether you needed alternative format. But ultimately, I think this is just a reminder that, you know, we, we can sometimes get into the habit of, well, the parents next to us, so we assume consent. But probably as much to, to cover our own backs, I think it's important to get a more formal consent from them. So step nine is all around data breaches. And this is everyone's nightmare, ultimately. You need to ensure that you have a way of detecting, reporting and investigating breaches. Um, so ideally, a policy around this is really important. So in that policy, you need to include, well, how will you detect a breach? 
How will, you, how will it be reported, whether it's you or whether it's someone else? How will you then investigate that report? And how will you manage it in between? If a data breach is significant and the risks um, are high, uh, and by that we mean the rights and the freedoms of an individual is at risk, then you do need to inform ICO. Now, that's quite a broad statement to make. Well, what, what's seen as high risk? What are the rights and freedoms of an individual? So while the last statement is vague and broad, ultimately what they're talking about is a potential for that person to get reputational damage, financial loss, or a loss of confidentiality. Again, with these higher risk areas, you have to report them to MICO if they're lower risk. So none of those, then they could potentially be managed in-house. But again, you need policies and procedures in place to manage that. Again, with everything, we're trying to lower the risk. So if you want to try and lower the risk of a data breach, ultimately you only want to hold what information is necessary and delete everything that's not. So again, have a clear idea of, well, actually, when will I delete uh, consumer information or client information? How will I dispose of it clearly and securely? But I think reading between the lines, this, this could be a PT, for example, for a training provider whose exam scores show a previous fail and they pass next time, but maybe no one knows and they're a successful PT. Maybe their exam scores get leaked. That could potentially have a massive impact on their reputation or their income. Maybe. It might not at all. But they're all potential issues. So there's a lot of, you know, well, what is a significant or a high risk leak? And I'm sure that's to be challenged on each individual incident. And I think this also brings me around to, to good practice in general. As PTs, we collect a lot of health information. That's potentially high risk information about someone's health that they don't want spreading. So actually, does that make us a high risk group? I would argue potentially. So some of it will also look at, well, what information are you holding? Some PTs don't hold all that information. Others hold everything from heart attacks to medication they're on to family history. And then that becomes a whole different kettle of fish. So if you do hold quite extensive information on your clients, I definitely would advise you get some ICO uh, advice um, as it's likely you're going to have to comply at a much higher level. And I think there is also an element of people outside of our industry don't always know exactly what we do. But I would argue that now working in healthcare and also doing this, that sometimes in the fitness industry, we hold just as much information about someone's health as potentially a physio or a doctor as long as that patient has given us that information. So well, how do we manage that? There's definitely some risks here, which I don't think are, have been made very clear for our industry yet. So for me, this also brings around just general good practice. So how do we store data? Uh, how do we access it? Is, is it all under secure logins? If you're using shared documents, are they only specific to your organization or can they be accessed by anyone with a link? How are you looking after these? How are you protecting them? Are you encrypting your data? So that would provide some protection because if someone tried to leak it or hack it, it might not make any sense without the encryption keys. So all of these things are important to try and reduce that risk of a data breach. So if you're getting any new IT or any IT input, I, I definitely think it's worth conversation around data protection, particularly around encryption and particularly around the levels of access. Uh, and ultimately, only giving people in your organization access that need that access. So if you're a tutor teaching on another course, do you need access to data of students on a different course that you were never teaching? 
I'd argue you shouldn't. So therefore, if there's a way of having that level of control in your organization, then that helps you to limit where data breaches are going to occur. I think ultimately, in my opinion, we're a very challenging industry. We hold lots of health data and very sensitive data. And I think we need to be careful because the more I read this, the more I think we are higher risk. So step 10, data protection by design. So this will really depend on what data you hold. If you hold large amounts of high risk data, which I would deem to include health information as well and other special categories, then you should consider a data protection impact assessment, which you can get organized. This is usually done externally and by someone with the skills. Again, you can seek advice from ICO as to whether you need this. This is definitely usually on the whole a large organization. So it depends ultimately on what you're holding, the level of scale of your training. My feeling is we're, we're a bit grey, we're in between. We hold far more sensitive information than people potentially realise. But a lot of us are small businesses and probably not the scale required either. But I think if you, if you want to be proactive and make sure, I'd get some advice from ICO in your specific circumstance. So step 11 is the data protection officers. So these are usually aimed at large organisations looking after a lot of special data, so higher risk data. Most training providers and professionals won't fall in this category, but obviously, you know, some of the very large training providers may. For the majority of us, it's not about having a data protection officer because this is usually a highly skilled person sought with specific skills for that single role. So you can't just read the documents, and do it yourself in-house. But for most of us, we don't need a data protection officer or a DPO. But maybe good practice is to have an appointed lead. So someone who is you know, in charge of looking after this area and has a good grasp of data protection and GDPR. And that's probably far more appropriate to where we are. So have a little look at that. And I think whoever you decide that appointed lead to be, ICO has got a great kind of summary GDPR document. I think that would be the minimum for them to get to grasp with. And then to get to grasp with your own company's policies um, to be clear that they're happy to use them. And we've talked about this. So we talked about a range of policies that need to be in place. So finally, in terms of, you know, going forward, uh, what do you need to do? I think, you know, there are quite a few things to do, but hopefully what we're trying to get across in this podcast is the key principles and the range of key principles to get across to you. So hopefully we made clear what GDPR is. Hopefully we've made clear the distinction between personal data, sensitive data, and the controller versus the processor. Hopefully we've talked you through the importance of awareness and the fact that everyone in the organization needs good training and to make sure they're aware with the new Data Protection Act as well as GDPR. Hopefully we talked about you guys mapping out what information you currently hold, who gets access to information, and what it is that you're actually holding. Hopefully we've talked a little bit about privacy information notices um, if you don't have a privacy notice get one make sure it's clear on your website make sure it's clear before any bookings same for PT make sure it's clear when the client signs up make sure they've consented and understand that we've talked about individual rights and we talked about there being kind of eight basic rights so the right to be informed the right to access the information the right to rectify information the right to erase information the right to restrict processing the right to data portability so a client can take their data wherever they want, 
the right to object or to complain and say you're not handling my data right and the right to not be subjected to automated decision making which is probably less relevant to us so I've left that one out in terms of the fifth step we talked about accessing uh, data and the ability that really now that should be free as long as a simple request very complicated extreme requests can still have a charge but you've got to be able to justify why that is more complicated and extreme you need to have a lawful basis for processing your personal data which we talked about we talked about what consent looks like which ultimately leads to your client or user understanding what you're taking why you're taking it how you're using it so this goes back to mapping what you do in the first place and then being able to consent for that and being able to remove their consent for that if they want to and then finally, we talked about data breaches as well. What you're going to do if you have a data breach, what the fact that you need a policy around it. So that kind of hopefully gives you a flavor of what we've done. So I think real take home points really now are make sure you've got a policy that's in place. Make sure it's on your website. Make sure it's everywhere else. If you use cookies in your website, make sure you've got a, a policy or a notice around that that clients can clearly see when they come onto your website. You'll notice that there's been lots of cookie updates on most websites. But ultimately, if you've designed your website, then hopefully you'll have the skills to do this. If you've had a web developer, then please do speak to them. In terms of moving forwards, make sure all your staff are appropriately trained so they understand good practice and they understand your policies and procedures. Make sure you've got policies in place for how data is going to be used in your practice or your organization. Make sure you've got policies in place around what happens if data gets breached. And make sure you've got policies around if someone requests their data, how you're going to fulfill these needs and requirements. I think those are some of the really key things to do. A lot of this is common sense. You know, ultimately, how would you like your data to be treated and what would you want to know and before you hand it over to someone else. And ultimately, that's what we need to make sure uh, we have in our own businesses and organizations. So hopefully that gives you a good overall flavor of what GDPR is. Um, you know, please do get in touch with us if we can help. If it's a specific GDPR case, I would really recommend you speak to ICO because they are the specialists and the experts of this. But we're more than happy to have a discussion uh, and give you our thoughts or opinions. All right, well, hopefully we'll see you for the uh, next podcast. But in the meantime, please check out all the um, resources that are in the hub below.